Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Zach Holdsworth, the co-founder and CEO of Hint Health, a membership management, billing, and payment software for primary care, urgent care, and speciality practices. In 2014, Zach and his co-founder Graham set out to transform the US healthcare system. They were both frustrated with the cost of healthcare and believed they could make a difference. They decided to build software to help direct primary care practices. Despite both of them lacking experience in healthcare, they jumped right in and hit the ground running. Within 30 days, they had attended an industry event, talked to potential customers, started building a product and got their first paying customer. And a few months later, they closed their first 10 paying customers. Today, Hint Health has around 1,000 customers, is close to hitting eight figures in annual recurring revenue, and has raised $64 million in funding. But looking back now, Zach says that if he could go back, he would spend more time researching customers and their problems instead of moving as fast as they did. We talk about the lessons he's learned over the last eight years and how he'd do things differently. We also talk about how they overcame challenges and objections their prospective customers had about relying on a startup to manage billing and payments for their healthcare practices. It's a great conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Do you have a quote, something that inspires or motivates you that you can share with us? Yeah, I'll say one of my favorite quotes is luck is, I think it's Seneca, it's luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Um, and And I sort of believe that to be quite quite true i think a lot of in life a lot of um people's success comes down to luck but the important thing is you've got to realize that and pounce right you've got to be prepared and like take advantage of it when it happens tell us about hint health what does the product do who's it for and what's the main problem you're helping to solve yeah so we, we serve a um, we're a healthcare company we serve a community of doctors that are basically stepping outside the insurance fee-for-service infrastructure in the U.S. healthcare system and going direct to um, either patients directly or actually direct contracting with employers. So, and, you know, we, we can talk about why we do that, but the high level is this is how we think we can transform the healthcare system and make it better. Um, and what we do for these customers, we with their billing system, so their membership management and billing and payments. So we're handling, you know, half a billion plus of payments through across, a, you know, uh, close to a thousand customers. Great. And can you give us a sense of the size of the business? Where are you in terms of revenue, size of team, customers? Yeah, so as I mentioned, around about a thousand, just slightly shy of a thousand customers. Um, that's representing, you know, three quarters of a million lives across a few thousand doctors. Um, processing on, uh, in terms of payments, you know, half a billion more plus um, through the platform. We're about 35 people, about 40 people actually now. And we are um, close to eight figures in revenue. And I think in terms of funding, you, you guys have raised what about six, is it 64 million so far? About 60. Yeah, about 60 total across um, four rounds. So let's start with uh, the idea for this business. Where did it come from? Were you, do you have a background in, in healthcare? I didn't have a background in healthcare until the company before this, where I was at about three years. I'd always been interested in healthcare, uh, but more from a kind of a personal human performance or personal health perspective. Um, but my experience at this last company really opened my eyes to how broken the system was 
And my favorite quote is, it's like, we're wasting about NASA, about a trillion dollars a year in healthcare in the US, which is NASA's budget since inception. And so NASA's done a lot of cool stuff. That's a lot of money. Um, and, and that's every year it's wasted. Um, and we're not getting a good deal either, right? It's 20% of GDP and it's half as good as a lot of other modern economies in terms of what you'd consider like quality or whatever. Um, and so when me and my co-founder, we met at the last company and we thought, okay, let's go off and do something that we think could fundamentally transform this problem. And so we spent a bunch of time, like two or three months, looking at you know half a dozen or more ideas, trying to figure out like what are things that in theory at scale could fundamentally transform the US healthcare system. And the rubric we were using was um, there was a few, kind of a, a, a intersecting Venn diagrams. One of the Venn diagrams was, okay, if everything, if everyone in America had access to this innovation, would it address that trillion dollar problem, right? Would it actually change the system versus would it just be incremental innovation? It doesn't really change anything. It just shifts money around. So that was the first kind of circle in the Venn diagram. The second circle was um, we want to build technology because we're kind of technologists and we want to do a tech startup. And so that was kind of a part of that rubric. Um, and the third one was we want to be able to do something that we could move pretty quickly on and get into market fast, right? We didn't want to have a business where it was like, hey, we're going to do a bunch of stuff and then in the future we'll make some money. We wanted to make money day one um, or maybe not necessarily day one, but like pretty fast. And that was kind of the, how we were thinking about things. And um, and I would potentially in hindsight maybe change some of that thinking, but we're, that's where we landed and, okay, let's build this billing infrastructure for this, this community of doctors that are stepping outside the broken system and redesigning it from first principles. Let's build the software that they're currently using spreadsheets to handle their payments and things. So that's where we started. I mean, any, anybody who's an entrepreneur, certainly in the US, um, knows from you know how, how difficult healthcare becomes when once you leave a full-time job and and have to go and get it yourself. And the same thing happened for me when I when I was, you know, working at Microsoft, I didn't care about the healthcare thing. It was all taken care of. And then once I'm on my own, it was like, okay, well one option is like paying uh, like you know twenty thousand dollars a year and a huge deductible. <laughs> And then you can get some healthcare. Or the other option was like, well, what, what if you didn't have anything and you just pay out of pocket? And then, you know, in the last few years, I've sort of discovered this in between where, oh, there are these, you know, these doctors and these primary care providers who are going direct to patients and build this some different model. But it's still a very niche market. And, you know, as you, you, know, you, you and I were talking earlier, it's, it's one that's growing, but why did you pick this in terms of, so you found a problem that you could solve, but it's, it's, I'm, I'm sure, you know, seven, eight years ago, it was uh, even, you know, much more, more smaller. Yeah. More niche. <laughs> with, with this business, we truly, both my co-founder and I, we, we truly were like, we're not, we're either going to do something that could transform the entire system from first principles and like fix the problem, or we're going to not go do healthcare. Like, because let's go do something else, you know, like we have lots of other interests. But the, the, and the way I tend to think about it is that I think the healthcare system is so broken that you can't, you sim it's simply not possible to fix it 
by just adding stuff to the current system, like innovate, that kind of incremental innovation on top of the current system. And so we knew it was going to be hard, but we also saw a clear path. It's like, I mean, it's about eight years in now. So, and the path is still the same. I still see the same path. It's just like, oh, this is going to take a bit longer than I thought it would. Um, which honestly, like, if you're going to try to redesign the system from first principles, you probably should have realized you're setting up for a multi-decade thing. And if you're not down for that, don't do that, right? Like that's that's a long time to be grinding. Um, and so it really just came down to, I couldn't see, and still to this day, can't see another path that fundamentally transforms you as healthcare. And that doesn't involve redesigning from first principles, fixing primary care, stepping outside of the status quo, kind of chassis fee-for-service infrastructure and like all of the legacy things that don't work and we know don't work. Um, and so we're still on the same path and still passionate about it, but it's just a long journey and it's, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not, we're not necessarily in, um, in the, in a, in a market where hyper growth, right. Is possible at least right now. I think it is possible at some point, but it's not a typical like venture backed path. Um, and we kind of knew that a little bit going into it, honestly. So how did you get get started? So you've you've identified a market, you think that there's a a good problem and an opportunity for you guys. What did you do? Did you did you spend a bunch of time going deeper into that and and trying to validate the idea? Did you start building a product? It was interesting. Once we kind of identified this community of doctors that we thought okay, this could be almost like the way I tend to think about it is the the sand with which the pearl will form around with which we could then start to transform the broader healthcare system. And we're still in the forming the pearl phase, by the way. Um, but once we had identified that and we thought this actually could be it, right. And everyone's going to think we're crazy and it's totally non-consensus and whatever else. Once we had though committed, Hey, let's do something here. We actually moved like lightning, right? We went to the first conference in this movement. We, we, pretty quickly identified within a matter of weeks, like cold, hardcore cold calling, networking, flying around the country, you know, some early prospects. And then we started identifying a problem. My co-founder actually started coding stuff. Like he was like, I'm going to start building something because we roughly know what which direction we're going to head in. And I started trying to close people on the promise of, hey, a product in the next few weeks, right? So we actually generate within about 30 days, we had, our first revenue, after we decided this is the thing, right, you can do a lot in 30 days with a solid engineer and a solid salesperson that knows how to get stuff done. So we generated our first revenue and had our first paying customer and our first user. Um, and uh, and if anything, like the learning, one of the learnings I would have is, if anything, we actually went too fast. Um, in hindsight, I probably would, in hindsight, it's always 2020 and maybe it wouldn't have worked out for the better. But if I had to go back and do things differently, I would probably have spent more time researching the customer and the problem than we did. I probably would maybe even gone in and worked in the, off- the, the, the doctor's office and for free, even, right? Hey, I'll be your admin for three weeks, right? I'll, I'm, I'm going to go and like sit, really sit down and study the problem versus just like striking like night. Like, striking like lightning um, on day one and just starting to build and sell and get something in market. I want to dig into that a little bit more because most founders would be super happy if in 30 days they've got their first paying customer. And so 
people might look at your story and say, yeah, Zach's saying that, but it worked out okay for him not not going deeper and taking his time. So can can you can you just help us understand why you you say that now? What problems did you have to deal with because you didn't spend more time going deeper? This is a 60-40 thing. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure this would have, it would have been better to spend more time. It's more like I think it would have if I was to give it another shot. But I'd say the reason, the fundamental reason why is because generally speaking, when you're early in building software and technology, it's re- everything's like relatively easy. It's like relatively easy to stand up a product. If it's a simple surface, it's a, not a large surface area. Um, and it's real, you know, if, if you don't have any constraints, right? Like it's like, we can kind of do anything and build anything for anyone, right? Um, if you, if you keep the surface area low, because you're able to move so quickly, you can also move quickly kind of, if the slightly in the wrong direction, um, versus later, once you have customers and revenue and, and momentum and infrastructure and whatever else you put in place, the cost of changes actually goes up more and more and more over time. So if that, that initial path you're on is like a little bit off, you end up spending quite a bit of time later on fixing the things that would have been relatively easy to figure out if you just spent a little bit more time thinking about it. Now, the, so it's really just, maybe I'll just try to summarize is it's, it's sort of a trade-off thing, right? You're trading off speed right now for kind of think of it as like product debt later. And that might be the right trade-off. And in the early days, that speed equated to, okay, we know there's a problem because people are paying us, right? And they're using it. So we've got some insights there and there's value there. But I think if you're thinking about that trade-off, I think just know that it's not free. Going fast does have some downsides and they may be the right trade-off. But that downside is is that your cost of fixing the stuff you got wrong because you went too hard fast is can be quite high later. And um, and if we had known all the things we knew, even six months or a year in, I would say we'd maybe be potentially two years further along from a product perspective, right? Because you have to take all that baggage with you through the journey. Yeah, because if you if you don't understand the problem deeply enough, then you may make decisions in in terms of the way you build the product, as you said, is going to cause you know product debt later on. And then also, when you have a smaller set of customers, you're going to get requirements which might sound like a good idea until you realize you just built a custom product for one customer. <laughs> and customers never know what they want, right? They think they know what they want, but, the, you know, the classic, you know, if you ask them what they want, you'll build a bit of horse, right, and carriage, right? And honestly, like, I actually think we could have learned a lot by just, hey, I'll be your free admin working in you for your thing. Let us, like, we'll work for you for free um, and, you know, for a month. Like that, that would have been so much more versus like, Hey, what's the problem? Oh yeah. Right now, like I'm using a spreadsheet. It's a bit, of, a bit of manual. So if we look at this spreadsheet and then we're like, Oh, we can automate that. And so you automate the broken process they had <laughs> versus like, what is the fundamental problem that you're trying to solve? And like, I'm going to solve it for you so I can really understand it authentically and really truly understand the underlying problems that, surface into the broken spreadsheet you have and that would be i think just but there's a trade-off like you can't do that for two years right because you're not going to build business but doing you know more than one day where it's like let's just start coding something is probably also the 
the other extreme where it's like, you know what, maybe, maybe, maybe you go a bit slower, right? Yeah. How long did it, so the first customer in 30 days, how long did it take you to get to the, the mythical first 10 customers? I'd say it was, you know, first 10 customers, um, you know, paying us something. It's probably, it's probably like three months or something, three, three, four months. It's a little bit too far away for me to remember, but, but I'd say we, 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 yeah, I'd say it's probably a few months, right? A quarter or something. But again, like they weren't paying us tons of, they weren't paying us tons of money either. Right, our first customers, we actually had them on a percentage of transactions through the platform product. So they didn't even have to pay us any money out of pocket up front, um, which we changed at some point. But, but yeah, it, it was can be somewhat a little bit hard to define what your first customer is because then maybe they're just kicking the tires because they didn't have to actually sign a contract or anything. It was all click wrap. Got it. So, so basically you were giving the product for free to start using it and then there were kind of, there was a, commission transactional whatever money they made then you made some money so that i guess that reduces some of the friction in terms of getting people on boarded yeah but that was sort of the the, this kind of the business model that we put in place on day one but the first first customers there was a couple we actually went into their offices and they're like oh yeah i'm about to spend twenty thousand dollars customizing a salesforce implementation so they don't use a spreadsheet or whatever and those customers i actually said hey listen Pay me the pay me fifteen thousand and I'll custom build it for you from scratch. But so you know, actually, first month I had twenty thousand dollar you know contract, but it wasn't like recurring or anything. I was just like, will you pay me twenty thousand to do this for you? And I got another one was like fifteen thousand or something. They weren't like SaaS recurring. It was more think of it as almost like consulting projects, um, and with a view that hey, and we'll put eventually we'll put you on our recurring revenue thing later if you're happy with the product um and and that and but then once we started going down the path then we we started with hey put all your payments through hint and then we'll just take one percent of all that and there's no upfront fee and so yeah there's a little bit less friction but typically what we'd do is we'd try to sell them on hey but part of this deal is we're going to move all your patients to hint right onto our platform so we'd kind of we tried to validate that there was intention around that. So it wasn't just a bunch of tire kickers, which is not a great thing for a SaaS company. What was the hardest thing about getting those first 10 customers to say yes? So you, you took away kind of like the pricing objection. Uh, I'm sure there were, you know, I, I imagine that these kinds of practices, there's a whole bunch of issues around privacy and HIPAA compliance that they kind of, you know, have to, to worry about and, and then potentially working with a startup where they don't really know there isn't a kind of a track record, maybe not as hard as selling to an enterprise customer, but I'm sure there was still some element of that. So was it mainly those kinds of issues or, or were there any other problems that you had in terms of convincing these people to say yes? Yeah, all the stuff you mentioned was all true. Um, you know, new people, like, who are you? You're not even, like, never heard of you before. Um, what do you know about our problems and all that stuff, right? Um, and actually, one of the ways I would, the, 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 the way around most of that was we are committed selling what, what, why you do it, not what you do, right? I can't remember who it was that said that I'm quoting, but it was very much, and this is still the case today, vision. Like, we believe that you're the 
you are the solution to this problem. We want to help support you. We're, we're very much aligned with you in terms of your mission. And we want to work alongside you in achieving this mission, right? And so that is, was the sales process. And then it's like, oh, yeah, we do some building stuff, right? So that was how, around a lot of the objection. And a lot of that was through cold calling. It's like, hey, we're entrepreneurs and we're looking to support this community, right? And they're like, oh, wow, that's weird. Like, there's 80 of us. And we're like, yeah, we know, but we still um, exaggerating a little bit. But like, you know, that, that, so that was it. But I'd say that the more hard objections beyond that stuff was really, I'd say, two things. First was, gosh, that seems like a lot of work to migrate all my things into your product, right? Like, I don't even know where to start with that. It's like payment information, the membership information, it's stored in multiple different places, blah, 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 right? So that was one piece. And the other piece was, I'm if I, if I don't get my payments next month because you fail, I will go out of business. Right. So yes, your software helps automate all these different things. My current process is broken, but it's not so broken that I'm gonna not I'm gonna go to business next month. So you guys, this new company, if this doesn't work and I miss a payroll, I'm done. And these are those are two big fundamental problems. So the way we got through the first objection was we'll do it for free. <laughs> we will data mic everything for free for you. And actually we still do that today, we just got very good at it. Um, but at the beginning, it was a nightmare. Was, I was like, oh, my gosh, this isn't scalable. But we started to see, okay, well, there's some patterns here. And actually, you get pretty good at it. And like, once you've done it 10 times, then it gets easy kind of thing. So that was how we got through that objection. And people were like, oh, okay, cool. Um, the second piece was um, hard, honestly. And literally in the early days, I remember one of our first customers, a guy called Dr. Rob, he told me the story and I said, Dr. Rob, if you miss payroll, I will personally guarantee that I'll pay your bills. Oh, I will pay you whatever money out of my personal pocket that if we screw up. And he, and he went, oh, okay, cool. Let's get started then. <laughs> um, and, and then I was like, oh, shit, he said yes. <laughs> um, really, I was like, Graham, let's not screw this up. So I was probably putting about 20K on the, on the, on the line, which – this is like a lot to a founder, but also I'm like, you know, I'm 99% sure that we're going to get this done, especially if there's 20k on the line. And so it was just a risk I was willing to take because if, um, and then that problem over time went away, right? If you've done it enough times, you got enough use cases and enough case studies and enough trust that you built in the community, that second problem went away and we still continue to solve the first problem. Great. So that gets you to the first 10 customers did you raise any money at that point or were you bootstrapping up to the first 10 yeah we we raised money pretty quickly um uh once we kind of started onboarding customers we started realizing gosh we probably should you know get another engineer and you know maybe hire someone in customer support because zach's going to be doing lots of product and sales work and so we're like yeah we, we don't want to put our own personal finances on the line because we're definitely way off from um having the revenue needed especially with our sort of premium model right where it's you scale with these clinics that they grow so we, yeah we went down the path of fundraising and what was really interesting is, is i found the first round of financing was 
And, and I'd say generally the first year of our company, I found relatively easy. Like everything seemed to be easy. It was like, okay, got our first revenue, pretty easy. We've got a product in the market, it seemed pretty easy. Fundraising, uh, you know, bunch of people that we'd worked with before or that really loved the vision or whatever, and we were able to get a round done quite quickly. Um, and it was, a, you know, initially I did 250K and then we, we ended up expanding that to like 1.3 million. Um, and there's a few tricks I played along the way, but but the high level was that I found that first money was the easiest money, which was actually a little bit of a trap for me later because I thought it would always be easy, which obviously was probably just not a smart thing to think. But, um, but, but yeah, we, we, so and then we started hiring people and, scale the team out yeah so you've gone through like four funding rounds and i think a lot of people think god if i can just raise that first round or my angel round i'm gonna be good and you were saying like yeah i've got to like raising like over 60 million dollars and it keeps getting harder and harder (laughs) yeah it's not easier um the running the business is not easier like you know some stuff gets easier obviously but as a general rule gets i found it harder and harder to fundraise like the bar goes up right the when you have no metrics there's actually an advantage because it's just like hey we're smart we're a smart team and we've got a big vision and whatever um and like look at our other investors like clearly they know what they're doing and so you get build momentum and you can actually play some tricks like <laughs> one of the tricks i play, it was not a trick it was just generating momentum it's like we got an interview to yc and so I was talking to a bunch of investors like, hey, if we get into YC, the price is doubling. And they're like, okay, we'll just do it now before you get into YC. And then we actually didn't get into YC, but we got the <laughs> money <laughs> and the price didn't go up. But I wasn't lying. It was all true. And they all, they knew what they were signing up for, but risk adjusted. Yeah, like probably if they're getting an interview, they'll get in. And so risk adjusted, it's the right move. So small things like that, which where you're sort of simulating momentum, um, leaning on the the moment, you know, the other smart angels and getting intros from them and just building that pipeline and just closing it really quickly. But what I found over time is, is that, you know, things started to get harder, right? And I think for us, the fact that we were early in a nascent market caught up to us pretty quickly, right? Where where now it's like, you know, what's your growth rate? Yeah, it's still solid. We were in the early days, we're growing, you know, 80% a year or whatever, like just like any other startup, right? Like really fast, but it's on a small base. Um, And so, yeah, I just generally found like running the company got harder, um, you know, and fundraising got harder. And I I think, yeah, so maybe I'll pause there, but I think part of the thing I, you know, maybe before I pause, I think the trap I fell into is I assumed things would get easier and it was easy at the beginning. And I was like, I'm just going to fly through this. I'm a great founder. I'm going to just keep dominating forever. But that was really a trap. Like I, I, in a way I wish the first round was brutally hard and it would have trained me and got me ready for that. It's always going to be like that. I've pitched more than a thousand investors in this company, you know, to get that money. One thousand. You pitched to a thousand investors to get which money, like through the process. Yeah, over the lifetime of the company, I've pitched a thousand investors. Wow! Some pitch might be a fifteen-minute thing, elevator pitch. Some might be a full partner meeting, the whole shebang. But I've had that many meetings, one with unique individual funds. 
because you would you would think once you've started to raise that angel round or the first round, you don't have to have a few conversations because you're building a track record and credibility and whatever. So what what was going on? What why why did that happen? Yeah, I'd say that um, at a fundamental level, you know, there's a saying like, it doesn't matter if um, if you're right on if you're right, but your timing is wrong. That's the same as being wrong, right? Um, at least right now, like you could still be right later, but right now you're wrong because your timing's wrong. And so, um, and so, what? What I think the thing we were that made it really hard for us is total addressable market is not big enough. And venture investors, even though if you look at most of the big iconic, you know, hundred plus billion dollar companies, they all started with no markets that they created. Blah blah blah. Like even with all of that, um, you know, if if the the total addressable market that you're targeting is not big enough, then investors that it's hard to convince them to give you money now the way that's manifested itself in this business is i've got the money but i've just had to get more dilution but now what's interesting is we're coming around the corner we sort of survived like one of the one of the things i think is a almost like an axiom like the found the axiomatic truth it's like the, the founders that will succeed on average Right. Obviously, there's outliers where there's people that just dominate and create a hundred billion dollar company in four years or whatever. That's like most companies aren't that. Um, but if you take the rest of that sort of bell curve of outcomes, the ones that end up in the upper quadrant are the ones that don't give up, don't die, right? Don't be a zero. If you can stick around long enough, now there, there are some counter arguments to this, like, well, if you're doing the wrong thing, maybe you should kill what you're doing purposefully. But if you want to, if you believe in what you're doing and you want to get there, don't give up at any cost and just keep grinding. And that's what we've done at Hint. And I would say the the way that that sort of market size problem has manifested itself, because I believe we're right, right? We were just very early. But the way it's manifested itself is we have less ownership in the business. But I'm okay with that because we're not about making money. Like, yes, I want to make money, but it's not the primary thing that drives me, right? I'll, if we have a outcome of the size that I think is possible given the transformation that we think we can be part of driving, I'll be fine for money, right? Probably won't have a billion dollars, but I don't need a billion dollars. Um, and But if that's your goal, then I, I probably wouldn't do mission first, right, in the thing you're doing. Like if your goal is to make a billion dollars, don't follow my path. It's probably not the best way to do that. Yeah, yeah. I've spoken to a serial entrepreneur who's, who's had several successful exits and and I think he said something once like, you know, like 5% of a billion dollar company is better than 100% of a company making no money, right? So that's that's kind of also one piece to look at it. But it, 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 stri- it strikes me that what you said there, the thousand pitches to investors, the the kind of drive to keep going, a lot of that boils down to the mission. Now, a lot of the times when we talk about missions and vision statements and all that stuff, it's just a bunch of, you know, hand wavy kind of stuff that doesn't really mean that much. Yeah. But if you really are like, you know, you're you're kind of this business where you're like, hey, I'm driven by really making a difference here. That's going to give you a lot more 
endurance and stamina to keep going, then I'm driven by building a a SaaS business that makes money, right? You probably go move on and do something else, right? Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, I can find a bigger market and and the investors will love me. Now, I'd say that's 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 completely true, and and that's I'd say is permeated throughout the organization, right? Like people join a big part of the reason people join us at Hint is because of the vision and mission. And it, we've actually got, we've even had to coin a term for people that have left Hint and come back. We call them the Hint boomerangs because they're like, they'll, they'll leave, they'll see uh, more shiny objects somewhere else, you know, leave. And then they'll realize, shit, like Hint actually had meant something. It meant something to work at Hint, right? We, we actually were changing the world, right? In our small way. And it was, and we, you know, we had a strong culture that, and a really built great community within our customer base and so on and so forth. And so, yeah, if, if we didn't have mission, if it was like, I would have given up, you know, I can't remember how long I've been doing this, but it's like eight or nine years or whatever. I would have given up seven or eight years ago because it's like, once it started getting hard, I would have said, you know what, this is, this is maybe not the right thing. The other, maybe you'd made a point earlier, just in terms of, you know, the one that the gentleman had said, Hey, I'd rather have 5% of a billion dollars than hundred percent of zero. Right. And I agree with that, obviously. But there's also a counter to it where some of the most successful entrepreneurs I know financially held 80 or 90% of a $30 million business or $20 million business. Yeah, 80% of 20 million is 16 million. I don't know what everyone's number is, but that's like, I don't need more than that personally, <laughs> right? And I, and I personally don't, have a desire to be able to say, oh, I have a billion. I, I'm a founder that created a billion. So the, I think that the, you know, maybe the point I'm trying to make is like, don't be trapped in, as an entrepreneur, I think it's really important not to be trapped in like the the Instagram post or the, the equivalent of, you know, social media where it's like everything looks perfect. Don't let that be the thing that drives you. Because you're not going to be happy if that's what drives you, right? Um, it's not doesn't work, right? Because uh, we get to a billion, and then there's a guy that's got ten billion, and you feel like a, a, a an epic failure because he's an order of magnitude. And you get to ten billion, and there's a guy with a hundred, and you're never going to be happy if the the, the number is what is driving you. Um, it, it, and so, yeah, it's like what's the right path for you? It's like it's financial independence is important. Great. Well, you don't need to raise a lot of money necessarily to do that. Um, but that could be the path as well. But with money comes some risks, you know, like there's some downside to money. Yeah. It reminds me of this um, episode of Frasier I saw years ago. Like, you know, Frasier and his brother Niles there, they, they get into this health club. It's this exclusive thing. And they keep seeing this door that other people are going into. And they're like, what is that? And like, oh, that's the VIP thing. And then they just like, I just obsessed, like all they want to do is figure out how they can get through that door. And that's what the whole episode is about. And, you know, eventually like, you know, they do a whole bunch of kind of shady things they get through and they think they're, you know, they're over the moon because they made it into the VIP uh, area. And then they realize there's another door for another VIP section that they and it's kind of obsessed and waste time about. So it's, it's the same thing, right? You're never going to be happy if you're always chasing something like that. And once you get into the VIP section, it's not that, it's sometimes it's not as good because there's not that many people and you <laughs> yeah. can't dance on the dance floor or whatever. It's like, you know, she <laughs> just leave here and go back to the normal 
you know, we're actually in hindsight, we're actually pretty content with where we were. <laughs> um, yeah, so. yeah, totally. Yeah. So we talked about getting to the first 10 customers. Let's talk about the first hundred. Yeah. What did you do? Was it, was it still just a lot of hustle, cold calling, meeting people or once you had the first 10, 20, did you start to take a different approach to, to growing the business? Yeah, I'd say the first hustle, first hundred was, um, you know, still a lot of hustle, right? Like, and it was cold calling, and networking, and things like that. Um, and you know, you know, you know, we did some content stuff. We we were um, hosted webinars. We, you know, this is probably post a hundred customers, but we launched our own conference, <laughs> which was a which we could talk about if there's interest there. Um, but I'd say yeah, it was it was, but it was leaning on. I think the the nuance was that we we're leaning on the success of, um, and the word of mouth that we we're starting to generate, right? Um, and some of the successes we were we we're building there. Yeah, because every time you're you're getting a customer on board, you're, you're getting more and more social proof. Now, okay, so let's so hundred is a hustle. Let's talk about the first thousand. So the next kind of like level. I know one of the things you focused a lot on was was thought leadership what does that mean uh was that was that around content marketing was that around the event was it around something else i'm not even sure if we've crossed a thousand yet right like yeah we're, i think we're close to it right because one of the things that happened is our clients got bigger right so we started small but as they grew we grew with them and we started building cadence around larger and larger deals and built more features to support more sophisticated networks, things like that. So there was an element of, you know, our customer got larger, which is, I think is important in SaaS. Um, uh, but in terms of kind of getting from that 100 to 1,000 order of magnitude, um, for us it was, um, you know, primarily around increase, ensuring we create a really amazing experience for our customers, really great customer support, really supporting them as many ways as we can, re- really listening to like kind of what their core needs are and continue to support them. Um, and uh, and I'd say a lot of our business started pivoting to word of mouth and kind of inbound marketing, uh, inbound referrals from either customers or partners. And so I'll break, I'll break that down a little bit. One of the strategies, strategies we deployed is we started partnering with other tech vendors that were serving the same community. There weren't too many of them, but we built integrations with them and we would go to market with them. So we'll make refer some business to you. You refer some business to us. We're going to do better together. You're an electronic medical record. We're a billing system. Let's, you know, we'll refer leads to you and vice versa. So we got business from that. But we also got business um, because our customers had such a profound experience with, the, with us and they saw our piece of authenticity we had with this market that they would start referring customers. And so a lot, even today, a lot of our small to medium sized deals come inbound. So what we started to do is, okay, are there ways we can kind of amplify that, right? That, um, that sort of brand halo and trust and fierce loyalty. What are the things we can do to lean into that growth strategy? Cause it's the main thing that's working. And so we launched, our first summit, which is an annual conference. And I invited, you know, about 120 people and about 120 people showed up, <laughs> right? I'll probably, maybe I invited wow. 150 people, but 
I personally reached out. I organized the speakers. I organized the venue. We got great food. We tried to do something unique and different. I made it about the. Uh, I made it about the this community, and um and 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 people you know signed up and they came, um and we actually sold out and had the fire code reached the fire code. It was about a hundred people, um in the space room. We we breached it essentially. We did stuff like that. We experimented with content marketing. We would do like we'd interview doctors and do blogs with them. We would. Um, try do you know the occasional webinar where we bring someone in that's got interesting insights. Eventually, we turn that into actually our DPC direct primary care accelerator program, where it's actually a free service we give to our customers. Where if you're part of our community, then you'll get free education and free content and free webinars. Um, and so that that actually pe- people talk about that, and that becomes a way that people come to us. Um, and the other thing we did is we started experimenting with um, clients would start to they're starting to build networks. So we built features that enabled them to manage those networks in Hint. So there's actually an, an element of kind of a network effect that happens with our product where one doctor will actually invite another doctor. I'd say that's not the main growth driver, but it definitely does. It's a form of that referral pathway of, of an inbound lead that comes to us, develops that relationship with us, and then eventually converts to a customer. A lot of those strategies are still in play today. They're just bigger scale. So it's, it's, it's a lot of the same stuff that was working. We scaled it. Did you uh, charge people to attend the event? Yeah, we did. We charged. Um, our goal was let's just break even. So I think in the first event, so it was like $150 or something to come. And then uh, if you didn't get a ticket early, it would be 250 or something like that. And I've always tried to keep that event affordable and we've never the intention has never been a money maker it's just been let's break even on this and our last event we had you know, 450 people or something post covid we're actually hoping for more than that and people were paying anywhere from 350 to 550 um and i anticipate that trend continuing right the, the costs will go up a little bit because we'll maybe go a little bit bigger bring more people in bring bigger keynotes because i always try to bring some unique keynotes um, and get more people to attend and then is this mostly customers attending or are you trying to get this as a way to reach out to new potential customers as well? I see this event as actually an industry event versus a user conference. And so it's more about what do we need to do as an industry to succeed, right? It's, it's more about the mission. turns out that half the people at the conference are Hint customers. And it also turns out that about half the people in this industry our hit customers, right? Maybe not exactly that, but it's roughly. So in a sense, it's an industry conference, but we have a lot of the industry. And um, uh, and so, but we definitely use it as a way to, um, I found it very, it's very powerful from a sales perspective. If you're in a conversation with someone, you invite them to the event and they have a good time, you meet them in person, definitely helps close the deal. Um, it reinforces we are here to support this community, right? My keynote is a big part of that. It's like, this is why we exist. I always talk about our mission and why we exist and what we do and why we do it. Um, and that that people, that resonates, right, with people. Um, and then we also have um, prospects and we also have partners. So it's a way of making, uh, sponsoring. So if you want to be part of our annual conference, you need to be a partner. And in order to be a partner, we need to figure out how to create value for this community together. And what does that look like? 
And so it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of leverage as well around, hey, if you want to be part of this community, this conference, we need to figure out a way to work together in a way that creates value for people. So it becomes a BD driver as well. Um, we actually turn away more sponsors from that conference than we accept, right, as sponsorship. So we're turning away money because people want to be part of that, um, that community. Um, so, that, and that, so that's uh, the mix, I guess. So one more thing I, I want to talk about before we wrap up here is we, we talked about the, some of the challenges you had with investors and the total addressable market. And on the one hand, you've stayed true to that mission and, uh, you know, not kind of compromised or gone down a direction which maybe would have, you know, given you a faster growing business or a bigger, bigger total addressable market. But you have also tried to move horizontally into different areas and, that is something that you haven't been able to kind of figure out or crack. So can, can you just give me an example of what you've tried there and, and what were some of the challenges that you faced? Yeah, I'd say that the, you know, um, we're, you know, we've got a core kind of direct primary care segment and we've sp- spoken a bunch about that, but there has been points in time where, um, where we've said, okay, uh, can we, succeed in other segments but with a similar software like are there you know other verticals in healthcare that need like a membership management system and that and could use our software because we built that and there are we actually have a number of clients um that have come to us saying hey i'm not dpc but you know i'm a membership based thing can we work with you and absolutely sure you can here's the software we'll support you what i've found is is that um, or if you know, employ direct contracting, you know, there's some other non kind of primary care segments that we support. What I've found is that we thought, okay, well, if there's some, if there's a few that are coming to us, maybe like, why don't we spend a bit of resources to scale that? Cause you know, that could help fund our mission, right? If we get these other segments to pay us money. Um, that what I've found is that the, the sort of, um, that sort of transition to new segments is you, you, in a way you almost, I think um, underestimate all the things you've done to have success in the segment that you're successful in. And what I mean by that is it's like, okay, well, if you're going to go and sell into this other segment, um, you either got to build an outbound engine, which we have a semblance of, but it's not where most of our business comes from in our core segment. So you've got to either build out an outbound engine and all the sales enablement materials and collateral and everything that would speak to those personas and all that work that kind of sounds easy, but it's actually like real work. Um, or we have to go build the authentic mission-driven community kind of inbound marketing referral engine that we've built in the community that we're successful in. And that's also hard and takes time. And so it's not to say we haven't had some success in other verticals in healthcare. It's just that, that they don't scale as easily as you would anticipate without all of the foundational work that goes into scaling them. And if it's not the core focus of your business, the cost of dabbling there may be not necessarily worth the, 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 the juice that you're squeezed from it. Um, so that, that, that would probably be the learning there for us. And and so is that something that you're still 
trying or testing in different areas or have you kind of just moved on from that? I'd say we still are testing. Um, I'd say that the testing though is more, you know, what we try to figure out is, okay, what is critical path long-term and are these segments part of that? Right. And if they are, what's the sequencing here? Can we bring that sequencing forward a little bit or not? And, you know, and is that, and so we're, and one example of this would be we have, you know, the small independent DPC clinics. We also have larger independent direct primary care clinics and network, and they primarily work with employers. And there's a lot of similarity from a cultural perspective there. And so it's like, okay, we can serve both those communities. Or the, um, but then there's like the sort of next segment up, which is like, I'm, I don't really self-associate with direct primary care, but I am direct contact with employers. I'm in like a near-site, on-site clinic group. So maybe I don't necessarily self-associate with, with this community, but I'm, I have at the end of the day the same long-term objective. And so we're, we're, we are paying more attention to that segment and trying to, because we've got a bunch of features and capabilities that can serve that segment. So we are, we're doing so with, within the context of this, this is, needs to be part of the, the solution long-term because this is um, versus random segment that seems interesting as a way to make money. We try to put it on critical path so that we don't end up kind of straying too far from our, um, from our sweet spot. Great. Okay, we should we should wrap up. Move on to the lightning round. I've got seven quick fire questions for you. Are you ready? <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> I think I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Focus. Maniacal focus. What book would you recommend to our audience, and why? I've, uh, in the early days of Hint, I found Lean Analytics to be really helpful. Um, and the reason I found it helpful is it really helped me think through how do you define what, what are the key things we should care about from a metrics perspective how, and how do we measure them and how do we, and, and how do we um, let go of them when the time is right to let go of them, right? And, and the, the sort of sequencing of how do you measure, focus your energy in the right parts of your business to kind of get you to the next stage. So I found that book really helpful. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Build, build a culture that's authentic to you because it's too hard to fake it. So if transparency is not a thing you're good at naturally, don't have it as a value. If it is, have it as a value uh, and so on and so forth. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? <laughs> I, sh- I should have a really good answer to this. <laughs> um, but um, uh, what I was going to say was like, Hire really amazing people so you can delegate things. But that's a cheat. That's cheating. Uh, that's not your question. Um, I'd say... It's different. <laughs> um, but um, I'd say that the, probably the, the, the one... The, my, my favorite one is probably like, you know, create lists. <laughs> um, you know, just... And if you, if you feel like you're not sure what the right direction is, sit down and just build a big long list. And just that process by itself will help you clear your thoughts and, and triage. What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the time? If I could do something now, I would consider jumping into the um, 
creating more fuel efficient transport, like flying transport. Like you have, you know, drones you can sit in and like get from, go, you know, line of sight fully autonomously, like Uber, uh, uh, basically a quadcopter Uber, right? I, I, that would be something I think is definitely going to happen. It's, that would be a, something I would probably look at. I think I heard about something like that happening in, I think they were trying to do that in Dubai somewhere, like passenger. Yeah, it's, I think it's happening. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's just a matter of time. And then you would solve a bunch of pretty interesting problems with that, like, you know, societal problems if that became mainstream. What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Um, I was Mr. New Zealand. <laughs> I was, a, I was the really? most eligible bachelor in New Zealand in 2002. <laughs> wow. What was that? Like, like, uh, is that a, is that an event or a, or a, some magazine thing? Yeah, like a what? magazine thing, kind of like an event, uh, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and like, and you know, what's interesting about it is I think the reason I won is because it was the first year they had email voting and I was at uni and, um, and basically some one of my friends submitted me to it and then it went viral through the email list servers and like all of our, everyone at uni voted for me. <laughs> uh, and finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? You know, a few years ago, I would have said, um, you know, kite surfing, adventure sports, like being out in the outdoors, and that's all still true. But, you know, it's a bit cheesy, but like, I have a lot of joy from my, I've got a young family, so I have two little girls, and um, just, you know, watching them grow and develop, it's like super fun. Um, and then my, my, my third answer would be, I love playing board games, right? And that, like, I, I, I don't do it much. I'm actually looking forward to my girls being older. But I love like sitting down around a table and playing like Risk or Catan or chess or something or cards or whatever. I just love that. And I feel like that's somewhat been lost in today's day and age because everyone's on their machines. Right? And it's something nice about the, the real world. I've been getting into board games with, with my family over the last few years as well. And uh, it's, it, it's nice just, just to do that. So if we ever meet up, I'll bring some board games with me Sounds and we good. can play. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Uh, if people want to find out more about Hint, they can go to hint.com. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, LinkedIn. Um, you can hit me on LinkedIn or um, you can email me. Um, you can email me at z at hint.com if you want. But um, if you cold email me though with an intro, there's a 50 50 I'll answer. You know, <laughs> Best way to get to is find someone that knows me and ask for an intro. And I pretty much never say no to intros. But I mostly just archive random cold emails. Awesome. It's been a good conversation, man. Thank you for for, for joining me and, and kind of talking about the last eight, nine years. Um, I think there were some really interesting uh, things that you shared that um, were very thoughtful. It's it's you know, it's it's one of these interviews where I feel like I'm gonna go back and there's a bunch of things that can kind of link, listen to and, and sort of think more about and kind of kind of just maybe maybe even kind of you know just write about it or something but there's some some really interesting lessons there that that you shared so so thank you for doing that uh i love what you guys are doing i love the mission uh personally as a consumer you know i was looking at uh you know direct primary care in the last couple of years and and kind of wondering if I was kind of brave enough to kind of take the leap and do something different to what 90, you know, percent of people are doing in this country. 
And uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think it's an exciting area. And, and, you know, often when we look at sort of healthcare, most people will say, you know, somebody's got to do something about this. And so it's, it's inspiring to, to see that, you know, you guys are actually, you know, walking the talk. So, you know, wish you all the best. And, uh, you know, I hope that uh, what you're doing is a tremendous success for everyone in that community and uh, that a lot of people, you know, get benefit from that. So thanks again. And uh, wish you and the team the best of success. Thank you so much. And yeah, and thanks for having me and, and pulling all of you know, those supposed insights out of me. <laughs> and uh, happy to happy to chat anytime. <laughs> it's my pleasure.